it's weird, just like a fluke of scheduling for the school. Uh, three weeks in February are four-day weeks. Mm. So, like, this Friday, we've got a uh, professional development conference thing. And then for the uh, President's Day weekend, we just go ahead and take a four-day. So, Friday through Monday off. Um, and so, you know, my, my week this week is short. It's only four days long. But because of what that changes about the schedule, today my class schedule was like what I normally have on a Wednesday. And so it's really disheartening for me that my week has just started because I, I just had the middle of the week day. Uh huh. And I've still got three days left. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's always like when you, when you have a day off and you always say, like you're all like one day off on your schedule and you wake up, you're like, oh, sweet Saturday. Nope. <laughs> it's Friday. Son of a. <laughs> yeah well and it's uh, it's just so weird to me how small of a change in my routine like i've never been under the delusion that i'm someone who really thrives on spontaneity like that's yeah. i know better than that it's not me either but i didn't realize just how deeply ingrained creature of habit i was mm-hmm. uh, until little things like this happen mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah. All right. Let's let's <laughs> hit an intro and jump into it. Welcome to the podcast, Blue Collar Scholars. Not long ago, a group of brilliant minds met together at a pub to discuss their unfinished works. They recognized the value of coming together around delicious beverages and having meaningful conversations. That group was known as the Inklings. The Inkle Do podcast here, we're working to be the second iteration of that group. So pour yourself a craft beverage, pull up a chair, and join the conversation. Okay, so hopefully we don't go three weeks in a row without having something to talk about. Please tell me you have something. I, I do. I do have something. So right. um, I went to uh, lunch at that um, Chula seafood place that I had mentioned down on Camelback and Central. Mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. good seafood. Um, and I had a beer there. I had the Greenpoint IPA, which is the same one I had in the past. So I'm not going to talk about that too much. But I had it before uh, our school was playing in a playoff soccer game. And so that's what I was eating in between. But I knew it was going to be a late night. And so I needed an evening coffee to get me through. Mm. Um, Well, so late afternoon coffee. This is like 3.30 or 4. Um, And right there is a place called uh, Dapper and Stout. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's like central there. Yep, right yep. off Central and Camelback in that AJ's parking mm-hmm. uh, parking lot. Not mine. They refuse to pay me royalties no matter how nicely I ask. <laughs> um, but yeah, just walked over there and got a, a coffee. And, you know, I did a, I did a latte uh, with an extra shot thrown in it. And so, like, picking up a lot of subtleties out of the coffee wasn't really going to be a thing. But what I thought was really cool was just the general vibe of the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It threw me because it it is a very trendy feeling kind of spot. And then on the TVs behind the bar, because it's a coffee shop and full bar, on the TVs behind the bar, they had WWE SmackDown playing. (laughs) And 
I was blown away by this. But, like, really, it was a really cool spot. The The coffee, like I said, when you're getting that much yeah. milk in it, it's hard to say a ton. But it was pretty good. It was it was tasty. They did a good job of uh, kind of – it still tasted like coffee without yeah. it. Yeah. They're, they're but, a pretty good coffee shop. Yeah, I've, I have had their coffee. It was uh, – it was solid. You know, not nothing – that's going to like win them gold medals or anything, but it sure. wasn't anything where you're like, Oh, this is not worth what I paid for. Like it was, it was okay. The most, that was going to be my next step was yeah. the fact that like it's price. Cause again, you know, you it's walk a very into expensive area, you walk into that area. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, you know, there is right across the street from it. Well, not far down the street from it is like a, a very trendy taco place and a very trendy pizza place. Yeah. Both of which are, good but not as good as their prices well and that little uh, corner is like two brewery like it's like a, yep it's in the shopping center but in that shopping center that corner is about as trendy as it can be yeah but like they actually you know like you said it was good solid stuff and the price was i mean it wasn't bargain prices or anything like that but it wasn't bad it was mm-hmm. it was a reasonable price for the coffee i was drinking yeah. The and the interesting thing about that place is that if you look back at the equipment, like the coffee grinders that they use, it's the coffee grinder that we use. Like it's a hundred it's a hundred and twenty dollar grinder. It's like the it's like the most entry level coffee grinder <laughs> possible. Like they and they have like five of them. And they use them all and it's so it's not like something that they were just like doing. It's like that's what they do. Like you're like, oh, well, I mean, I don't know if I feel bad about them or good about me or a little bit of both. Like, it's, uh, you know, let, let's focus on the positive. It's, yeah. you know, and then they'll have like a high tech pour over machine that like automates the pour overs for them and everything. And I'm just like, I'm so confused right now. Like, I don't, it's <laughs> the priorities seem different than mine. And so, like, right. I, I, I spent some time like just kind of watching what they did. And it's a very different shop. Like, it, it, they, they're definitely, Concerned on the looks, you know, like, and it looks, oh, yeah. and it does look cool. Well, and I will say too, I think that's another thing, you know, as a, as a roaster, you're very like coffee focused. Yeah. And, and not just coffee centric, but like the bean itself. So like the grind, you know, that's going to be mm-hmm. really important and all of that. And for them, it's more like, look, just, just don't screw it up when you're pouring the water over that's, it. Let, that's exactly what let, it is. Let's go ahead and idiot proof this as much as we can. And and you know what? Like I don't blame them for that because the majority of bad cups of coffee don't come from the coffee itself. It comes from right. somebody just totally screwing it up. Like if you just had a basic grinder and somebody doing it well, you can get a good cup of coffee. But I've had $5,000 grinders and a crappy barista and it was like a an awful cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, no, a hundred percent. That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah, I haven't had much. We we ventured through Sprouts the other day, and Kristen was like, "Oh, they have wine here." And I was like, "Yeah, they've always had wine here." But she doesn't wander like I like. I wander like anytime I go into a store, I'm like, I'm gonna look at every single aisle and corner, and just like I gotta look at everything. And so, but she found some, there was some good prices, there were some sales, so we grabbed some from Sprouts, so we've been trying them, and the, I can't remember the one that we had, and it was, it was okay, it was a, you know, fairly serviceable, but nothing, nothing that it was worth me, like, snapping a picture of the label so that I remember to bring it up here, but it's, 
you know, I, I'm excited for Super Bowl because it's like I was just gonna say. I rest re- assured, I will be bringing something. Good. I, I'm gonna go ahead and I'll hit kings and you know. Well, I was like, it's always I. I'll get a six-pack of something good, and then I'll get, like, a, a mix and match that we can play with. Deal, deal. Yeah, that's, uh, there's always that got to be that event that, like, forces our hand. <laughs> exactly. There is an occasion for which, you know, well, and especially since I'm not the one hosting the Super Bowl party, it's like, you know what, There's I'm, I'm leaving the house anyway. Yeah. Like, I, I don't have the option of, like, well, yeah, I could go and do that, or <laughs> I could not. Like, no, I'm, I'm going to be going somewhere, so might as well stop there on the way. Yeah. Yeah, so the one thing that I am excited about is that I'm I'm going to try this recipe called um, hot dog burnt ends. So, you know how, like, you're supposed to do, like, burnt ends of, like, oh, the yeah. brisket and stuff? but you, they're, I'm, like, I'm familiar you, with all of the individual component parts <laughs> yeah. of what you're talking about. <laughs> they're like, when you need barbecue on a budget, I was like, I'm intrigued. I'm going to try it. <laughs> so. Well, so the good news is it's impossible to ruin the hot dog. Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, you have a hot dog with barbecue sauce on it, you know, like. Uh, yeah, that's, which there are worse things. There's worse things, exactly. Oh, man. So one of the things that – so we're still talking about the Silmarillion, but I like I had this really fun connection this weekend because we did – on movie night, we watched Atlantis. Oh. Have you watched that? The, like the that, animated one? Yeah, that's a Disney movie that like most yeah. people like either I, I haven't, haven't seen. Or, I've heard good things about it, but I've never actually like sat down and watched it. It's it's a dark horse. Like It's one that like Disney is like brushed under the carpet probably – because of like all of the racial stereotypes and then the like <laughs> 90s bikini and the like there's some like adult humor and stuff like things that got away in the 90s that that don't anymore. <laughs> you yeah, know? fair enough. Um, but it's really it's actually really good. And it was fun because it went back to like prehistory. Like Atlantis was mm. like this place that existed before everything. And they're all referencing Plato and and there's this whole mythos about the creation and I was like, this is really interesting. And again, you know, kind of continuing my like negative talk on Disney here, but like, like we need more of that. I was just thinking like, this is so such a rich story that they actually like took the time to develop this stuff and they had really cool visuals and things. And and it kind of goes into what we wanted to talk about tonight, which is like the creation story from the Silmarillion and that all of these things connect back to me is just like how rich it is to have these different versions of the creation. Like we have our creation story in the Bible, sure. right? And I remember the first time that I heard that, oh, that's not the only creation story. I was like, what? I was in college the first time <laughs> yeah. I learned that there was not another one. I was like, Gilgamesh, who's this guy? You know? <laughs> And uh, and it's and then I was just like it was super interesting, <laughs> and uh, and and so co- continuing on to it, like I know that the Silmarillion is is like fairy tale, and these other ones are more, you know, religious based, but like it adds a lot of richness to to our stories by having a creation story as part of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and going back to kind of you know what you were saying about like the difference between what you experience with Atlantis versus what you see in a lot of the Disney movies. 
there's not normally in a lot of, I would say in a lot of stories in general, not just uh, Disney, but in general, there's not a ton of actual world building that mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. It's more like you just sort of find yourself in the world and there are some things that are going on that you're, you know, suspicious, probably has some kind of an explanation. It probably comes from somewhere. And who knows, maybe the people coming up with the story have a thorough world view or maybe not. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of left in the lurch on it. Whereas with things like the Silmarillion or with the creation myths, what you get is this foundational piece. Mm-hmm. And you know the tone has been set for everything else. You know, yeah. um, with the idea of, you know, the Christian story of creation or the Judeo-Christian, to mm-hmm. be fair, because the Jewish people had it before we did. Um, they, like, those stories, and they are multiple stories, let's be fair. Yeah. Those stories, though, ultimately what they do is they establish an immutable truth that everything that comes after them is going to be based on, which is that Mm. God created everything and he created it good. Mm. And that's established. And everything that happens afterwards has to fit within on top of of that that, that foundational framework. Mm. And in the Silmarillion, you know, again... Kind of what we were talking about before. Tolkien wouldn't call it allegory. I'm sure, technically speaking, he's probably right. But close enough. When he's laying out the creation myth in the Silmarillion for Middle-earth, which was, again, keep in mind, his intended mythological explanation for the creation of Earth. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the whole point was a fairyland story origin for England, mm-hmm. which, hey, guess what happens in this world? So, but the whole myth, this idea of the music of the Ainur, yeah. which mm. is, again, my thing, like, before people read the Silmarillion, if I find out someone likes them some, uh, some Tolkien, or if they don't like them some Tolkien, but they know a lot about music, I'm like, oh, then you need to read at least this part of the Silmarillion. Right. Because I know jack all about music. And I read it and found myself thinking, oh, this is like the most profound, beautiful thing a human being has written under their own inspiration. Yes, it was. It was amazing. And it made so much sense in the way that it was presented in the form of music and and the the acts of the music and the contributing people to the music and like an orchestra and a conductor. I was like, this is a dude that knows music and and not just like me who I like, Hey, I know who Beethoven is right. And I, I know what channel, what I can find K Bach on the radio, (laughs) but like he actually knows it. Right. And so like, Mm -hmm. and it's orchestrated and I, now the only, the one downside that I have to it, is that it, it wasn't my first introduction to it, right? So, like, mm. I came into, because Narnia, I read Narnia before I read this one, obviously. Sure. And, you know, like, I don't know which one came first, who influenced who, but you know they influenced each other. 
I was going to say, like, it's large. There's a decent chance that it's some other poor inkling who no one knows the name of. <laughs> who, like, that was the entirety of their story yeah. was, was the idea of just... creation being sung. And as they were all discussing it, they were like, you know what that is? That's awesome. You mind if I take that and run with it? Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah, that area was like the piano player in the back of the pub when they were sitting there talking. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that poor, poor man. That, that's my self-inflicted depressing headcanon that I'm now accepting for it. <laughs> but, but you know, like Aslan sang creation into, into being as well. It was done very differently as in, sure. you know, a, a single because... Uh, you know, Narnia was meant to be much more allegorical, one-to-one. So it was a single creator, but it used song. And I was like, yes. oh, that's interesting. And, and music and the flow and the way that things – that I was like, that feels good. But then I li- read this one and I was like, and this is so deep, right? Because like even in Narnia, you like you have the white witch and she has her motivations and all of these things. But like this is like evil – starts at the beginning and that's where like you think that like god created the world good right Mm -hmm. but then satan's like no i see all this goodness i want badness and you're like that doesn't make sense like like who sees this and is like nah i'm good you know but then like in this you see that that it's like from the beginning there's like this poison in the heart and it and it interacts with the luvatar right like so Mm -hmm. uh melkor i guess is what he's called at that point like, Iluvatar is not blind to it. Like, he's interacting with him and, and eventually overcoming him. And, like, it's not like God's like, oh, I didn't know that he was singing his own tune over there. You know, like, like he knew about it the whole time, but let it continue anyway. Like, he let him sing his whole chorus and yeah. then came at the end of it. And you're like, wow, that was not what I was expecting. Well, and what's, to me, what's so, like, I shouldn't say what's so as if there's only one thing that's so incredibly fascinating to me about it because uh, that's all of it. But like the way it approaches the concept of evil in the first place, it's this idea that, you know, uh, for anyone who's listening to this and is not familiar with the Silmarillion, basically the way creation happens is that Iluvatar, who is God, uh, he composes this music he writes this music which is then for the Ainur these lesser gods or angelic beings or whatever these spiritual beings to sing and through their singing this creation will come to be Mm -hmm. and so what becomes the discussion of good and evil when you're further into the book starts off as a discussion of harmony and discord like there's everything is going perfectly and beautifully while they're singing the music that Iluvatar has written. But Melkor infatuated by the goodness of his own voice. And it was, according to the, the story, epic. He wasn't wrong to think he was good. Right. But he became so consumed with his own voice that he desired to change the music such that his voice would be featured more strongly. And it happens multiple times. And like at first, it's kind of this, uh, oh, you know what? Some of these parts aren't being as sung as well. Allow me to use my strength of voice to kind of cover them and bring things up. And then Iluvatar comes in and is like, ah, I see what you've done there. 
let me go ahead and bring everything back into harmony by doing this. Mm-hmm. And then the music continues on for a little while. And it kind of keeps happening until eventually it becomes this full on, um, to call it a battle would be overblowing it in the same way that if we talk about a battle between God and Satan, it would be overblowing it because the outcome is settled. But there is something of a contest of wills between them, Mm -hmm. between Melkor and Iluvatar. Um, And ultimately, Iluvatar is the one who wins. Like you said, he brings this greater harmony out of the discord. Like as Melkor and those who join with him in singing are being disruptive, Iluvatar kind of on the spot recomposes mm-hmm. a new piece and brings the others in and mm-hmm. makes it part of the harmony. Yes, I do like, yes, I did like that part where like, even though, you know, this guy's over here trying to mess it all up, he used it. He never like stopped it and turned it off. He used right. it and adapted. But I, I never got a sense at any point that Iluvatar was challenged by anyway, like there was never any any possibility that Melkor no. was going to win. No, a hundred percent. That's accurate. But but he allowed him to do it, and then basically, like when you get to the end, it's kind of like he doesn't punish him, but he allows him to get what he asked for. If that sounds, and it basically says, "Look, you you set these dominoes up, and now." They fall down like and you. It's gonna play out, and you are going to reap what you sowed. Type of, like I'm using all of these different analogies, sure. like motifs well, but, here. But but it is. It's it's very accurate because I mean. So one of the things that's also really cool in terms of like pointing out and elevating the difference between Iluvatar as the creator and these sub creators the ainur and the mm-hmm. maiar who are like participating in the act of creation through the singing they don't know what they're singing mm-hmm. it's not until after the song is done that aluvatar oh, shows yeah. them what their song has brought into being you're right yep and not just melkor but a lot of those who stayed faithful to the music from the beginning become so enraptured by it that they desire to go down and be part of it. Yeah. And you're right. It is Iluvatar allows them to go. Mm-hmm. And he does so knowing full well that Melkor, having failed in the the dominion of creating, is going down there to try and seize dominion. You know, Iluvatar has already said he's not going to be like pulling puppet strings down there. So maybe now he can go down and seize this power and control. Right. But what he doesn't right. realize is that he had already pulled all those strings when he was conducting before, because he, Melkor yeah. was so self-obsessed. He didn't see, he couldn't know what they everything didn't realize, that was being done. What they didn't realize is that everything that was going to happen in Arda, in this created world, was already part of the music. They had already done it. So there's no like removal of their freedom in it because they were free to sing the music Mm -hmm. Iluvatar wrote or not. But once they've done it, for them, it's all still these things that are to happen. Iluvatar already knows. No, you've already sung the song. All that's left now is to hear it. Hmm. Oh, Oh, well said, sir. Ah, You know, that's struck. That. That struck true. That was well said. Oh, man. Yeah, you got me there. And and it just plays into I love how much how 
how God, oh God, Iluvatar did not control the song, but guided it, it to mm-hmm. his ultimate end. Like there was no point in which he was not in command, but there was no point in which he overwhelmed the will of another either. Like it was yeah. gentle, but completely but in control. irresistible. But irresistible, yeah. Oh, and you've used these word the the word co creator a bunch of times here, and I really like it a lot. And I think that's one of the things that I'm chewing on as like trying to understand the word uh, stewardship, like a mm-hmm. steward. That's kind of my word for this year, and the Silmarillion has helped me a ton with that because of the, of that whole idea of the co-creators and then how the uh, Valar go down and how they view. So there are some that choose to stay up. There's some that choose to stay down and they're not, it's not punishment to go right. down and part of creation because Manway is wholly good. Right. And he's yeah. completely connected with the Luvatar. And so, but they are truly co-creators like they they helped in the making of it and then they go and they steward it you know and their and the their craftsmanship of it you know like yes. they go down and then they make things and they work with their hands and they discover and they learn and they grow and it's it's really interesting the way you know, like why don't we consider ourselves co-creators i mean like we literally have the ability to procreate but we don't consider ourselves co-creators in the world that we live in. No, and that's entirely like, and that's, uh, it's so huge a realization that like, we we talk about the idea of being created in the image and likeness of God, or if we want to stick to the Silmarillion language, we are the children of Eru or children of Iluvatar, whichever name you feel like going with. But like, that's just it. We are in the image of the creator, which means what are we meant to do? How could we possibly be the most like him we can through creating Mm -hmm. within the parameters that are set for us? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like Melkor desires to create according to his own vision Mm -hmm. without reference to the grand scheme and the grand plan. And in doing so, in attempting to do so, what he ultimately creates is his own destruction. All of the things that bring about his ultimate fall are his doing. Mm-hmm. Now, he brings a lot of suffering on a lot of others through his yeah. actions. Um, but on the flip side, you've got all of these, you know, the other lesser gods, the Maiar and the Valar, who are creating... I mean, one of them goes so incredibly far that he creates living beings. Yeah. Distinct from the children of Iluvatar who he created. That was interesting. That was a super uh, interesting piece. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to stick very brief on it because I will will go to town on discussing dwarves. But, like, you know, Aule forms them and he does it in secret because... He's aware on some level that what he's doing goes against the music. Right. right. But his motivation, his and this is so relatable to me in terms of my comprehension of like what sin is and what's going on when we sin. Yes. yes. He knows what he's doing is wrong, but he's doing it for a reasonably good 
like a justifiable thought process of, yeah. uh, it's literally just us, just us Valar who are seeing Arda. Who knows? I, I, I can't wait anymore for yeah, the children of Iluvatar that's to right see there. this. I, I just can't wait. It, it's that Christmas morning. Like It's that the kids sneak, yes. trying to sneak down the, the squeaky stairs at 4.30 in the morning on Christmas Day. Yes. You know, that's yeah. where Aule is at. And again, rather than being punished or overwhelmed, Iluvatar like shows up and lets him know, you're not pulling this over on me. And Aule and his shame and his desire to undo this mistake he's made is about ready to crush them. And Iluvatar says, no, 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 don't do that. And Aule looks and these, they had been, um, he's not capable of creating life. So they had been these like emotionless automatons and they're cowering in fear at the idea that he's going to destroy them. Because Iluvatar was like, look, this wasn't part of the song, but they're still good. And so he gives them like real life and like there's some conditions and stuff that are put on them. Yep. But regardless, yep. like he adopts. So them. you've got their level of creation. And then when the elves show up, there's their level of creation, mm-hmm. which is where we get the name Silmarillion, because it's they're the it's actually the elves, this, you know, degrees down in creation and in power to create. Mm. But they so fine-tune and so perfectly execute the craft that is theirs to do. Yeah. That they create something that even the Valar can't recreate and can't surpass. Yes. And yes. that's ultimately for us as well. If I was going to like turn this into a life lesson, it's that idea of realizing that we are we are at our most godlike, not by trying to do an impression of God, but by recognizing the role God has created for us and us for, hmm. and absolutely inhabiting that. Hmm. By completely and totally giving ourselves to those, pa- those roles, those passions, those motives. Because it's when we do those things that we will find that fulfillment and to borrow to continue on the analogy, connecting ourselves back into the music mm-hmm. in its most full way. And it's only when we're in the midst of the full orchestra that we get the experience of some small bit of that knowing of God, of being able to recognize that all is as it ought to be. Hmm. All is as it ought to be. That's the... That's, and that's why I think music is such a great analogy for it because like you think of harmony and like you've been, we've all, we've all experienced it to a small degree. Like, like you were saying there, like we've all been like in our calling and be like, yes, like this is everything is just grooving. And you're like, this is so right. And then music just sounds, it's, it's exactly like you could turn a song on and you would just be like, yes, all of this is yes. And so music makes sense. And so I, I like that. That's really good. Yeah, for me, I'm I'm like struggling to pull this down into a life lesson for me just because I think for me, the life lesson has just been from, is really more along storytelling, really, and, and just the importance of storytelling and how someone like Tolkien can just dig into what he loves and share, be in his calling, like as you're saying, like Tolkien was somebody who was just fully in into what he was made for 
and then he tells this story that generations later is helping, you know, some schmo in Peoria, Arizona, understand or or just get a grasp of what it means to be a co-creator in the world or to understand, you know, how God works with us and how he doesn't, how he's always in control, but he never forces his will on us. And, you know, like sharing, if, if Tolkien doesn't share his gift of storytelling, then, you know, like the world is, is less rich and I'm not going to have the understanding that I have. And so I guess I'm kind of piggybacking on what you said and is like, we all have these things that God created us in and, and it's important that we share them. Right. Like I, it's always in philosophy 101 where they tell you that, you know, like if you don't share your gifts, you're robbing from society. I think it's like a Plato book or something. Yeah. I don't remember, but it's, it's true. Like you have to share those things that God gave them to you for the, the whole, for the orchestra, like, and it adds to it and, and the orchestra is less without it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think what's really cool is that it, it really emphasizes that idea of the universality of it. You know, Tolkien was coming up with this story a century ago across an ocean from us uh, in many multiple languages that he was inventing at the time. <laughs> so, like, yeah, 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 he was English, but, like, you can tell if you look back at the appendices, he spent most of his time in various elven tongues that have <laughs> never been spoken by any actual race of people. Um, but, like, in spite of all of these differences and all of these uh, wide gaps and chasms that would have to be crossed, there's that universal element. There's that music in the background yeah. that is just uniting it all. Mm-hmm. And I think what's tricky for for us, because like you said, we all have those moments where we kind of experience we're like, ah, oh, yes, I am where I am supposed to be and things are what they're supposed to be. The problem for me, at least, is generally speaking, I misdiagnose what is right about this situation that I need to latch on to, mm-hmm. which is why it's sometimes like weeks, months, years, decades in between me experiencing that is because I've been so focused on trying to recreate this past note Mm. as opposed to thinking about where we are in the music now Mm. and what it is I need to be doing. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's right. So true. Yeah, it's always moving. It's always moving forward. Yes, okay. We could keep going, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Tolkien's dangerous for this stuff. Boy, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. What also is good stuff is our coffee. Uh, which yes, it is. <laughs> we do have, in case you, you, you don't know, if you haven't been on the shop, jump on there. But our Nine Rings is inspired by Tolkien, right? So, like, the tagline is, uh, for those who above all else desire coffee, right? So that's a line from the Lord of the Rings. It's very Tolkien-inspired. And so we, we, we try to say keep... not actually from the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. A no. little bit modified. They didn't mention the coffee there, but they should have. I'm, I was going to say, I'm sure Middle Earth would have much rather... Sauron go after coffee than everybody else, yes. you know. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, Definitely jump on there. Definitely would have been a dark roast. <laughs> jump on there, grab a couple bags of nine rings, and uh, read the Silmarillion. You'll be better for it. I am better for it. And uh, you got anything else on your brain, there, man? 
as is always the case, so much. But no, I'm good for tonight. For tonight. That works. That works. All right. With that, everybody, we will say adieu.